Open your Bibles again this morning to Luke's Gospel, the 23rd chapter. Page 884 in the blue Bible in front of you. When we last left Jesus, He's been before Pilate, He's been before the Sanhedrin, He's been before Herod, Herod punted Him back to Pilate. Pilate wanted to let Jesus go, but the people just kept shouting that they wanted Him crucified. And so, for no other reason than political reasons, Pilate said, fine, kill Him. Just to calm the people down. Not because he thought Jesus deserved to die, in spite of the fact that he knew that Jesus didn't deserve to die. Pilate said, go ahead, do whatever you want. That's where we left him last week. So we're going to pick up in verse 26. Luke 23, you follow along as I read out loud. And as they led Jesus away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him Jesus' cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed Jesus a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when the wood is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. The people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanging there railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. In this passage, as we read through it, it's just it's very moving to see what Jesus went through. 
And as you read this story, especially as you read it slowly and let it sink in, you see the utter blackness of sin. The darkness of evil. The things that were being done there that they had to know was wrong. But then, in the same breath, in the same passage, we see the beauty of the light of Christ. And it is the contrast between the darkness of sin and the brightness of the light of Christ that we see the glory of who Jesus is. But as we read through this story, don't rush ahead to the resurrection. Yeah, I know that you know it's coming. And it is. But at this moment, the people there didn't know that. We need to experience this in the moment. At this moment, Jesus is dying all alone. Abandoned completely. Who will win? Darkness or light? Good or evil? That's the question. But Luke doesn't just tell us the cold details of what Jesus went through. Rather, he gives us this experience through the eyes of several people who are watching, who are seeing what Jesus is going through. And so today we want to ask the question again and again, what did they see? What would they have seen that day? And what do you see? As you see Jesus walking toward the cross, as you see Him on the cross, what do you see? So let's look at these different people who experience Jesus, who come into contact with Him. What did they see? The first one is this guy Simon. We start off, we're told that, that Jesus is, is condemned. He's on His way to the cross. And part of the, the procedure of crucifixion was the condemned man had to carry his own cross. Now, probably what you carried was the cross beam. Not the, the upright part, but the cross beam. They would put that on you. They would make you carry your own means of execution. And so everyone who would see you going through town would know you were on your way to death. Well, Luke tells us immediately that they grab this guy Simon who's coming in from out of town to, and they compel him to carry Jesus' cross. Why? Because Jesus has already been beaten. He's already been horribly scourged. He's been up all night. And probably with so much fatigue, loss of blood, he's unable to carry his cross alone. And so Simon is compelled to carry the cross for Jesus. Before we get into what Simon saw, is this not a wonderful example of God providing for Jesus' need at that moment? We hear the cliche all the time that God will not put on you more than you can carry. 
Well, Jesus couldn't carry the cross, and yet God had someone right there to help him carry it. This is not God delivering him from the cross. Jesus is still going to be crucified. He's still going to die. But we see the providential hand of God offering Jesus a little help in the midst of this horror. And sometimes, people, that's all we've got to go on. When all of the life around us just seems to be chaos and problems, sometimes God will just have one little thing. To lessen the load. It doesn't take it all away, but it helps in that moment. And if you just focus on the bad, you're going to miss out on those little glimpses of God's love in the midst of a trial. And Simon is right there. But what did Simon see? What must that have been like? It says he was coming in from the country. He was coming into the city and they grab him and take him out to carry the cross with Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I've got plans, when I've got something that I'm, I don't like to be delayed. I don't like to be distracted. I definitely want to, don't want to be detoured. And I'm sure that Simon was not coming into town that day so he could carry somebody's cross. Hey, you never know. That's not what he was coming into town to do. And the Romans would have seen him and said, You, take the cross. And at that point, that's what he had to do. He would have been inconvenienced. And I know my attitude. Oh. I got places to be. I got things to do. And in the midst of his schedule... His agenda. God interrupts that and says, carry a cross. Yeah, yeah, I get it. The Romans made him do it. But can you see the hand of God in this? How many of us in the midst of our busy lives can't stop and see the divine interruptions? The divine inconveniences. Stick with me. I can't prove this. Maybe I'm wrong. I think this guy becomes a Christian. The text doesn't say that. I understand that. But the reason I believe that Simon becomes a believer is because we know his name is Simon. And we know where he's from. If he just faded off carrying the cross of Jesus, we would have had the story told to us as some guy they grabbed and he carried Jesus' cross. Why do we know his name? Why do we know where he's from? Because he became part of the church. That's what I believe. And what that means is, this man who is inconvenienced, who's told to carry a cross that was not his own, God uses that to bring him to faith in Christ. That sounds to me like Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. And that God is at work through even the difficulties and the inconveniences of life. The interruptions. And I know me. If it had been me, I'd been walking to the cross. Why did they pick me? Why do I have to do this? Right? 
Don't they know I've got other things to do? I didn't do anything wrong. Why do I have to carry this guy's cross? What do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see an inconvenience? What happens here is that Simon becomes a blessing. Contrary to a different Simon, remember? Simon Peter, who denies Jesus three times. we got another Simon who steps up and does something good. As Jesus is going toward Calvary, there's some women there. And they're weeping and they're mourning because they know Jesus and these two other men are on their way to death. Look at verse 28. In the midst of these women who see Jesus and they're weeping for Him, Jesus said in verse 28, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for Me but weep for yourselves. Jesus turns the tables on them. That's not what I would have done. They'd have been weeping for me. You're right. As bad as you think it's... I'd have been crying. Oh, it's terrible. You're right. Weep for me. Get more people to weep for me. Woe is me. Jesus turns the table and He says, yeah, really, you ought to be weeping for yourselves. Can you imagine? What is he talking about? We're not on our way to death. He is. Why is Jesus telling them that they should be concerned for themselves rather than for Him? Because Jesus knew He was going to be fine in a few days. But the nation of Israel was bringing down God's judgment on them by their actions in killing Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in verse 31. He says, "Is if this is what happens to green wood, what do you think is going to happen to dry wood? The image there is so clear. Have you ever tried to burn green wood? You can, but you better have a hot fire first. Because if you try to light green wood, it doesn't go too well. But if you've got a hot enough fire, you can burn even green wood. And Jesus is likening Himself to green wood full of life. And He said, if this is what they're doing to Me, burning green wood, what do you think is going to happen to you? Dry wood. Dry wood's going to go up like that. Jesus said, you're missing it here. Don't be worried about me. You need to think about yourself. But the women couldn't see that because all they could see was the suffering that Jesus was going through. And they were missing the trouble that they were in. Boy, doesn't that sound like addicts? You ever see addicts who get all worked up over somebody else's problem and you're looking at them and say, really? With all that's going on in your life, you're worried about somebody else? But that's the way it is. Often with our spiritual problems, we're always focusing on someone else and, and how bad off they are. And we're not willing to look at ourselves and the trouble that we're in. 
What would you have seen if you had seen Jesus that day? A man to be pitied? But I love what I see here in Jesus. Jesus is here on His way to the cross and He's thinking about others. I'd been thinking about myself at that point, wouldn't you? And yet Jesus on His way to the cross is thinking about others. Then Luke tells us that Jesus reaches the place in the text that said the skull. If you go there today, even now, the the shape of the hill has a couple of of indentations where the eyes and the, the mouth would be. And it does look like a skull. And that was the place in Aramaic it's referred to as Golgotha, but in Latin it's Calvaria, which is where we get the term Calvary. And that's where they killed Jesus. That's where they crucified Him. While Jesus is on the cross, He prays to God, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. Now the important thing to remember that when Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6, He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That was the teaching of Jesus. In Luke 23, when Jesus is on the cross praying for these people who were killing Him, He was not teaching. He was doing. What was He doing? He was doing what He taught. People, this is huge. What that shows us is that there is not one shred of difference between what Jesus taught and how He lived. Are you with me? How many times do we hear people who will say good stuff, but then they don't live it? They talk one way, but then they live another. Jesus, when He was on the cross, How many of us would have been cursing those who were killing us? Calling down God's judgment on them. I don't deserve this. God, get them. Well, I'll pray for my enemies. I'll pray that God gets them. It would have been so easy for Jesus to start lashing out. Considering what He was going through and how unfair it was, right? No, because that's not who Jesus was. And in the midst of this moment, we have Jesus revealed to us not what He taught, but who He really is. It'd been easy for us to do that because that is who we are. But Jesus is just being who He is. Do you get the point? If we can't live out our faith during easy times, what makes us think that we'll live it out when we're being tried? When times are difficult? Jesus is just being true to who He is. 
And this is an opportunity for us to look at ourselves and say, what am I like? And oftentimes we'll get angry and we'll say and do things when we're angry. And we'll say, well, I was just angry. As if that makes it okay. No, our anger at that moment is revealing who we really are. It makes us uncomfortable because we want to pretend that we're not that person, but we are. And at this moment, we see who Jesus really is. But then, Jesus prays that they be forgiven because they don't understand. And then to illustrate their ignorance, Luke tells us two things. In verse 34, the second part, we're told that the soldiers were casting lots. They were throwing dice for Jesus' clothes. That was typical in that day. The executioners got the spoils. They got to keep the the clothing, the, the personal items of the person they were executing. And so that's what they're doing. The sinless Son of God is dying above them, and they're down on their knees throwing the dice. Come on, Daddy needs a new robe. They missed what was really going on, the significance of that moment, because all they could see was, hey, some new clothes. And then second, Luke tells us about the crowd mocking Jesus. Oh, if you're really the Son of God, save yourself. Or He could save others. Why can't He save Himself if He is the Christ? And the wording there is very important because what they're saying is, if He's really the Christ, He will save Himself. Not just that He can, but He will. And the fact that He doesn't, the fact that He doesn't save Himself proves that He isn't the Christ. See how that works? They started with the premise that the Christ won't die like this. And so if He dies like this, He can't be the Christ. And it's called circular logic. It's self-proving. Totally ignorant to the fact that God is going to deliver him. God is going to save him. Yet not for a few days. Not before Jesus is crucified. What I find interesting here though is what they were saying to Jesus. They were not just saying this in academic ways. They were mocking him as they were saying it. Oh, if you're really the Christ, save yourself. Stick with me. You see, evidently it wasn't enough to be physically torturing this man. We've got to add a little bit of psychological and emotional torture to the mix. Just killing him wasn't enough. Let's make him suffer before he dies. You ever got people like that in your life? Hopefully you're not one of those people. They've got to just give you that little slip the knife in and say those little comments. Give the knife a little twist. Make you feel bad. Just to add that psychological torment. What must that have been like for Jesus as as they're mocking Him? You're not really the Christ. You can't do this. 
knowing full well that he was right and they were wrong. There's no compassion here. None. They won't give Jesus the slightest recognition. And in that context, Jesus is praying for them and having compassion for them and asking God to forgive them because of their ignorance. That's why Jesus' words here shine so brightly. Because they were giving Him nothing. In their ignorance, yes. But their hearts were so dark. They wanted this guy to suffer in every way possible. Jesus prays that that they would be forgiven because they're ignorant. This is important. Does that mean that they're not going to be held accountable? No. Ignorance is no excuse. Try going 60 through a school zone and telling the officer, well, I didn't know. I I didn't know it was the school zone. And the officer's going to say, oh, okay, that's cool. No. Ignorance is no excuse of the law. And the same is true with God's law. Ignorance of God's law is no excuse in disobeying it. They will be held accountable even though they don't fully understand And so will we. We cannot stand before God and use ignorance as an excuse. But this is confirmation of what John tells us in John chapter 1. He said that the darkness didn't understand it. The darkness didn't comprehend the light. They just didn't have a clue. Then we get to the two thieves. We've had Simon. We've had the women. Now we get to the two thieves. Quite a contrast between these two. One of them jumps on the bandwagon. Are you not the Christ? Then save yourself and us. Boy, you can just hear the compassion in his voice that he wants Jesus to be saved. He wants that thief next to him to be saved. No, he doesn't. It's all about himself. He sees Jesus as a possible means of salvation. Not eternal life salvation, but get me off this cross so I don't die salvation. In that moment... He could only see Jesus for what Jesus could do for him. The other thief is a marvel. Where did he get his insight? Where did he get his knowledge? He begins to defend Jesus. There's nothing in the text that says anything about any relationship with Jesus and this thief before this point. But somehow, he looks at Jesus and he looks at the other thief and says, what are you doing, knucklehead? He said, we're getting what we deserve. What is happening to us, he says, is just. But what's happening to him is unjust. 
He doesn't deserve this. If you've been counting, the thief now is the third person in this text to affirm Jesus' innocence. Pilate, Herod, and now this thief all saying the same thing. He is innocent. The soldiers gambling for Jesus' clothes. The crowds mocking Jesus. They're clueless to what's taking place. And yet in the midst of this cluelessness, there's this one thief who gets it. And what in the world made him say, Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, don't forget about me. Look at Jesus. He doesn't look like a king. He looks like a guy who's about to die. And even if he is a king, so what? What's that going to do for me when he's dead? And yet this thief somehow has come to believe that death is not going to be the end for Jesus. And he says, I want a part of what you're doing. And I asked the question, where in the world did he get this information? And the answer is he didn't get it from this world. He got it from God. God somehow revealed to him that Jesus is more than he appears to be. What would you have seen that day? What would you have seen that day? Take one and pass them around. I'm going to pass some of these around. They're just little nails. Take one and pass one around. Make sure everybody gets one. Brother Dale made these for us. He offered and I said this would be a great way to do this in the sermon. All it is, is a nail. And you understand, this nail doesn't even begin to capture the nails that would have been driven through Jesus' hand and feet. But it, it's a symbol. It's a, it's a way of just focusing our mind for a moment. The nails that they would have used with Jesus would have been more like spikes. Like a railroad tie. Something very sturdy. Those who study it tell us that they probably wouldn't have driven it through his hand. Because the hand would just tear through. It was probably driven right through his wrist. Between those two bones. So that you would be anchored to the cross. This is a nail that represents what Jesus chose for us. You see, Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. Jesus could have avoided the cross. And yet He chose this, the nails, for you and for me. What do you see when you see Jesus? 
You see, how many of us are just like that thief who wanted Jesus to save him from the cross? Save yourself and me too. Get me off this cross. Why? So he could get back to the same life he had before. He wasn't repentant. He wasn't acknowledging his sin or his guilt. Just save me so I can get back to the life I had before. And yet, sadly, people, how many of us are just like that? We get into trouble. We've got a problem. Oh, Jesus, 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 save me. And what we mean is, get me out of this mess that I've gotten myself into so I can get back to the life that got me into this mess in the first place. No desire to, for a changed life. No desire to follow Christ and live for Him. The second thief, though, saw something different. He said, remember me when you get to your kingdom. It's not about my kingdom. It's not about what I want. It's about what Jesus wants. He didn't say, hey Jesus, I'm a good guy. I made some bad choices, but I'm a good guy basically. No, what he said was, I'm getting what I deserve. And he cries out for mercy. Just remember me. Don't forget about me. Not because of His goodness, but because of Jesus and who He is. What do you see when you see Jesus? What do you see when you see these nails? Isn't that the point of the Gospel? That life comes from death. And in the midst of Jesus dying, He looks at this thief He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now I want you to stop and to think about this. You got the crowds over there needling Jesus, mocking Him. Oh, the Christ. What a good Christ you are. You can't even save yourself. And yet Jesus is over here offering a little refreshment, a little hope to a guy who's dying. Today, 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 you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus holding out hope to a guy who has no hope. Life from death. Light from darkness. That's what we see with Jesus. Even in His death, Jesus is bringing people to life. Simon, This thief, our problem today is everything has to be about us. Everything. In our narcissistic world. But what about me? But what about me? That's going to be our, our mantra, it seems, for everything. We can't see anything except for how it deals with us. How it affects us. Does everything have to be about you? 
Jesus did not take those nails for Himself. He took them for you and for me. We will never reach our world for Christ as long as everything has to be about us. As long as everything has to have some payoff for me. We are called to deny ourselves. And as long as everything has to be about you, you're not denying yourself. And with Jesus, not everybody's going to see the same thing. Those two thieves represent the whole world. Some people reject Him. Some people accept Him. Which are you going to be? Jesus offered that thief the assurance today you will be with me in paradise. Can you hear Jesus saying that to you today? Not do you want to hear that. But do you hear that? Do you have faith in Christ? Have you committed yourself to Him? This thief was willing to stand up for Jesus. He couldn't do anything else. But in the midst of these people mocking Him, in the midst of the other thief ridiculing Jesus, He stood up for Jesus. That was how He lived out His faith for that short period of time. Will you be with Jesus in paradise? Only if you commit your life to Him. Only if you live for Him. It's not enough to want it. It's not enough to hope for it. Well, I'm a pretty good person. No. We deserve death. We deserve hell. And it's because Jesus chose the nails. From that darkness, we can have life. We can have light. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful today for what we see in Jesus. What a remarkable story. In the midst of all of the darkness, of all of the evil, we see Jesus living out perfect faith, perfect righteousness. God, I pray for each of us here today that we would ask ourselves, what do I see when I see Jesus? But more than just what do I see, what am I doing with what I've seen? And help us to not be content with being just good church people. It causes us to want to live for others. To stop making everything about ourselves. And to live so that others might have life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look this way. It's great to be challenged in here. But it doesn't do any good unless you live it out there. Take the light and the life of Christ that you have received and share it with those around you. God bless you.